The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. Welcome to The Vault Podcast. Classic Music Reviews, presented by IV Creative. Now, here's your hosts, B. Cox and The Crew. Greetings and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the Vault Podcast, Classic Music Reviews, presented by IV Creative. It's a perspective on the classics from a fresh point of view. We appreciate you for taking your time and lending your ears to our perspective. You could be anywhere listening to anything, but you're right here with us, so we thank you. With you today is yours truly, B. Cox, and with me, I have the crew, and it's my boy, J.O., of course, here in the place to be right next to me again. Jay, it's our first one of the new year together, man. Happy New Year, brother, to you and yours, and, Happy new year, you sir. know, you know, wishing you and yours a very safe and prosperous year, and we got a good year coming up here, man. It's a very busy and hectic schedule with the years that we got coming up, and I know we're going to have lots of time. We got a lot of reinforcements coming on, because we got a busy schedule coming up, man, so... Definitely hope that you uh, had a great start to your new year, and uh, we just ready to get into it, as you always know. True, true, yeah, man. Like, um, you know, definitely we um, got through twenty twenty, and um, hopefully for twenty twenty one, be on the bigger and better. So, yes, sir. You know I'm, I'm here for it. Yes, sir. And of course, as you always know, we want to make sure that we give all of our props to our listeners worldwide. Thank you for all the support, guys. The numbers are through the roof. I have to say, thank you, thank you, thank you to everyone who's spreading the word. And we've definitely seen a difference between the numbers, especially since we switched to our new host on Red Circle. So thank you to everybody stateside and worldwide continuing to spread the word out there about the Vault Classic Music Reviews. As you know, on the Vault, we have a saying and our motto here is hashtag open the vault, hashtag nothing but the classics. And today we have yet another one and we're going to take a trip over to another coast, over to the left coast, a.k.a. the West Coast. And, Jay, I figured this would be right up your alley. We're going to go back 30 years ago, and we're going to go back to January 15th, 1991, to the debut studio album of none other than the Quickster, a.k.a. DJ Quick, and Quick is the name, released on Profile Records on January 15th, 91. Production handled mainly by DJ Quick, also with the executive producers Courtney Branch and Tracy Kendrick, runtime of 43 minutes and 21 seconds, also, executive producers Greg Jesse and Quick pretty much solo producing most of the album himself. And Jay, one of the things that I noticed when doing my research about this album is mm-hmm. that this is uh, one of Quick's best-selling albums. I think actually it is his best-selling album. They did the production of this on a budget of only $30,000. Hmm. Now, this is 30 years ago. Like... And back then, we would think that budgets would be a lot more expensive to produce an album. They actually did it with a budget of $30,000, which is ridiculous. You think about that, right? Because I would think now it's not that expensive to record and produce an album, mix and master and everything else. But basically, the way that he did, Quick said that what happens is that Profile gave him a $30,000 budget to mix the record. And he said, all right. Doing this math is pretty much $1,000 a day in the studio if you do it over in, a, in, the, in the form of a month. So 
what he did is that he got everything done in less than a month. So he had everything done on the $30,000 budget in 17 days. So he pretty much got everything he had. They used SP-1200. They brought turntables into the studio. They used all the hooks with scratches and everything else and samples. They did all the overdubs. They did a bass guitar. And they pretty much sat there and got everything done in 17 days. So what happened is the rest of the money, he took it and he pocketed it. (laughs) Why not? (laughs) And then they actually recorded the majority of it on a Tascam 4-track recorder. And uh, that just goes to show you, man, like one, how far technology has come, but then also some of the things and the tools that they had to be able to produce such a good album such as this and having limited budgets. $30,000 is not really a lot of money at all to be able to get money done, but he did the most out of it. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, like that. I mean, just like the SP twelve hundred. I mean, that equipment back then wasn't cheap either. Mm-mm, nah, yeah, man. I want to say it was like about five stacks easy. Yeah, right there, like five SP twelve hundred. Yeah, like five thousand dollars, man. It's like you know, for a piece of equipment like that, it was a lot of money. But you know, luckily for him, he had a lot of that because he was already producing to be able to just get it done on a thirty thousand dollar budget, even in nineteen ninety one, was really amazing. So here we are with quick as the name, and uh, just to sort of go into it, Jay. I'd like to sort of start this with sort of talking about DJ Quick in general in -hmm. regards to, you know, his standing uh, in the game and then also sort of as a West Coast legend and how I think mostly not until maybe recently, I would say he wasn't necessarily getting most of the props that he deserved amongst a large portion of the hip hop community because you sort of get lost in the shuffle with all these different other West Coast legends. And if you're not really paying attention to things, you sort of gloss over quick in some of his work and doing my research about him mostly over the last 20 years or so. And then also seeing the uh, unsung about DJ quick that they had from, I learned a lot of things about him. I understood how hard he worked and then also, you know, how much of a grind he put into the music business while going through a whole lot of shit and drama that was surrounding him and his family and the rap game and people beefs with people, you know, we had beef with CMW and and with MC8, that was well publicized for a long time. But he definitely stood the test of time for a long time. But I would even venture to say when it comes to when you're talking about West Coast Legends as producers, there's Dre. But I would venture to say the Quick's probably not that far behind him. Yeah, I would agree with that. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah, I mean, he's up there like, yeah, Dre, Battle Cat, you know what I mean? Like, um, mm-hmm. yeah, so. I DJ Pooh, Jenks, Poo, you know? Yep. Yeah, yeah, he's he's definitely in, he's definitely in that conversation. So yeah, I really couldn't put my finger on what it is. I mean, yeah, because even throughout like the late nineties, I mean, he was he was on some pretty notable tracks. I mean, either as a as, either I like spitting lyrics or like on the production side of things. So yeah, um, maybe he just didn't get his name out there in the same fashion as Dre. Or I don't know, I really can't pinpoint what like, what it was. But yeah, he's definitely in that conversation among like West Coast legends. Yeah, and the West Coast definitely gave him some love because he was definitely selling albums, either gold or platinum albums for a long Mm -hmm. time. And to me, what I really gained a respect for him with was just being able to show and reading about him, like him as a actual studio engineer and a mixer. Like uh, I was reading an interview where it says that he actually mixed the majority of all eyes on me by Tupac Mm -hmm. over the, over the course of like maybe like two or three days, (laughs) which is when you're thinking about it, uh, two CD at track, a double, double album. You know, that's a lot of work to be able to put in over two or three days to be able to mix and yeah, come up guess, with a great mix. Pac's work ethic, yeah. you know what I'm saying? Because they said Pac was a workaholic in that studio. Yeah, so. yeah. 
quick. I guess he had to figure he had to match the energy. Maybe he just had that energy. Yeah, indeed. Of course, man. So, so quick is the name. So we're going to get into it and talk a little bit about it. Um, as I said, I didn't really get into quick until late in the decade. Um, and by the decade, I mean the nineties and definitely going into two thousands. I researched him some more. I didn't really start listening to this and didn't really get into quick as the name until maybe the 2010s. And that's the first time that I listened to it. And I hadn't listened to it again until this week, but I'm going to go ahead and start with you, Jay, just your overall first impressions of the album and what you thought about it. Just for first blush when listening to it. Yes. I mean, like I actually, um, like you, I mean, I didn't, get into, I didn't get into DJ Quick's music until later, so I missed, you know what I'm saying, Quick's the name, like that initial release and all the buzz behind it, but then went and listened to it and kind of put myself back in, like, you know, what space I was in back in 1991. I was, I mean, I was, like, young. I was, like, was January. I was probably, like, I don't even think I was 10 yet, so, mm-hmm. but, like, so, you know what I'm saying, but I just started, like, listening to Ice Cube and, like, really picking up on that West Coast vibe, and then... Like I said, put myself back in that mind frame and quick delivery lyrics. I mean, I wasn't really a mindset a set of like production, but of course, and like now I can appreciate it. Mm-hmm. You know, I was like, you know, a lot of these tracks, you know, you know, like when you think about other producers and everything like that, like yeah, a lot of these joints are like dudes staying the test of time. Like lyrics, like they deliver, they're, they're like on point. Some are just like outright funny, just entertaining. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So like, even like listen to it now, I mean, I could definitely see some of these joints like really holding up. I mean. Some of the production did sound kind of dated. I mean, just for that time, I guess, like, they just had to incorporate that into it. Yeah. Just appeal to, like, you know, that... And I guess he was, like, more so going for, like, appeal to, like, that, that West Coast demographic. You know what I mean? Like... Yeah. The homies on the streets or whatever like that that was banging or just living in Compton or in Los Angeles or wherever. But, like... Yeah. You know, I just thought it was, like, a good good mix. I mean, maybe somebody, like, other way, other like, in other place wouldn't feel it maybe because they're not a hip-hop hit or whatever, but... You know, I really feel like he delivered for his audience. So, like, yeah. And just like, was really the start as far as, like, you know, showcase what DJ Quick had to offer as far as, like, his music, beats, production. I mean, once you once you get more into his story and, like, you know, realize, like, how much effort he put into this and just, like, what he was capable of altogether. Yeah. And to, to piggyback on that, and to me, like, you know, it just isn't necessarily quote, quote unquote a gangster rap album because he definitely right. has, like, some lighthearted tracks, some switch up things that he talks about. You know, there's some humor in a lot of his tracks, but he was a part of that gang life. I mean, he was a part of the tree top high roots. And so it's a well-known fact he's been there. Part of the beef that he had with the fact that with him and eight is the fact that they were on both different sides of the of the of the war. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. Of of the battle. He sort of lived that life, but didn't over. He didn't glorify it like a lot of West Coast rappers did back in that day, and some of them weren't even really banging like that. You know, they were around I think, homies I think who he banged. Was like the diet, though, at one point. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. And then eventually, like, you know what I'm saying? Because he, he was shouting out TTP, but like then when the people were like I don't want to say confronted him, but addressed it, like you know, he was like kind of like tried to downplay it, outright deny it. But then later on, it, it came out like you know, yeah, he really was with Treetop Pyru and really had made a name for himself in that lane as well. So mm-hmm. yeah. But, yeah, nah, it's it's um, it's uh, he didn't really over glorify, you know, like a lot of guys, and especially I would feel in some areas, not just West Coast rap, but and over would, would you know over glorify that lifestyle, but it really wasn't banging like that, you know. So to me, it's a nice delicate balance. When I listen to albums from West Coast artists, I always like to be able to see if I can visualize myself there. I mean, I've been to California once. I, you know, haven't been and spent any extensive time there, but I always like to, when I listen to albums outside of areas where I am, is to be able to see by listening to the album, can I be transported either to that place or that time? 
where that when that music came out? Like how mm. how mentally how far mentally can I go to be able to see? Okay, can this take me over to the West Coast, over to Compton, over to what South Central, whatever I'm listening to, or to Houston, or to wherever I'm listening to an album, a place where I'm not from, and be able to see? Can I visualize what it's like over there? And I think the biggest thing I took from this album is the fact that I'm listening to this and it's almost like I'm there like a 91 <laughs> in Compton. And the thing that I love about West Coast artists and producers is because the sound is so unique. And so the identity is really tied towards the culture there in Southern California. And in some parts of the Bay, the music and the sound gets tied to the identity of the place. And this is the thing we talked about when we talked about regionalism and hip hop and how that sort of disappeared because you're pretty much dealing with a borderless hip hop culture now where it doesn't really matter where you're from. Music gets made a certain type of way. It doesn't sound like it's from New York or sound like it's from California or sound like it's from Houston or Chicago or Cleveland or Miami or Atlanta. You know, the music is the music and there's a style of music that people like nowadays but this sort of harkens back to a time where you could listen to something and be like, yo, I think this producer might be from this place or this mm-hmm. rapper sounds like he comes from here. That's where it, this is where this album sort of takes me back to listening to quick and also listening to this album. You could definitely tell those DJ backgrounds. Like he said, they pretty much scratched the majority of the hooks and um, you could tell from those samples that you hear on a lot of the hooks and everything else. There weren't a lot of, aren't a lot of like rap hooks and stuff that are coming along. It's, it's quintessential early nineties hip hop being able to scratch and cut and create those stuff for hooks. You reminds you to tell you that a lot of the great producers all time were definitely also DJs and they were DJs first, you know, definitely the correlation is there between being a DJ and being a great producer, especially during that time period. But then also the baselines on here too. Mm-hmm. Like West Coast baselines are always funky, but the fact that he said they bought a bass guitar in there, some of the basses on here are absolutely ridiculous. I like to listen to that more so than anything else when listening to an album to get a feeling of how I think it's going to sound. And the baselines are funky. The samples are great. Um, his lyrics are not. You know, they're not A1 bars. You're not going to get elite lyricism more here. But what it does Mm -hmm. is fit. It fits with the type of beats and the music that he has. And the thing that I I like and how he incorporated the guest spots on here, second to none, AMG, high C. It doesn't, they're not names that blow you away. If you know West Coast hip hop, you know these names. But they play a great role under this as well. It's not overloaded and oversaturated with guest spots. It's really just an awesome effort. And like I said, when you listen to it, you get that feeling like you're right there exactly where he is. Because visually, the music tells a story, the lyrics tell a story. Combined, you put that together and you have a perfect picture of what Compton looked like, of what you might experience on a day-to-day basis. And so, to me, I loved it, for, loved it from that perspective, especially from someone who hasn't been and not, doesn't really know a whole lot about that culture. But during this time, Jay is when we started to get a peek into West Coast culture because we had seen NWA. We started mm-hmm. to see people like Above the Law and DOC. Dre started to eventually come around. And then you saw artists like Quick and MC8 and Compton Most Wanted and all these different West Coast artists that started to emerge right around this time. It gave the country a peek into what West Coast culture was and hip hop culture in particular over there on that side of the country. So now we're going to get into highlights. Talk about what you liked, what you didn't like. I'll go ahead and get that from you, Jay. So what are some of your highlights, man? Give me a few of your highlights and any lowlights if you have any. Yeah, I rock with um, Born and Raised in Compton. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Uh, I would say also, even the dedication train, just like the production, like, you know, him, him shouting his folks out and everything. Mm-hmm. Uh, Locked out hood. I got that feeling. Scandalous. Those would be my highlights. Um, we had a sweet black pussy joint. I mean, that joint <laughs> <laughs> lyrically is just it's just funny. And I mean, yeah. I, overall, a dope track, in my opinion. So, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, low lights. Uh, I guess I'll address the alleged elephant in the room, which would be the bomb bud. <laughs> I knew you were going there. <laughs> I've been waiting for this the moment since I knew we were going to start recording this. I was like, I wonder if Jay going to say something about this. And sure enough. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean. And the reason I'm going to say why, why I say the alleged elephant in the room is because, like, I'm somewhat leaning on them because, I mean, they're on the West Coast, and you're not going to really find too many West Indian Massive on the West Coast. So mm-hmm. maybe you couldn't fly, like, you know, a Jamaican out there to do that hook or whatever. Yeah. Or even a production, really. But, but I'm, I guess I'm also saying, like, towards the lyrical content of it. So, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. That would be the, be the, um, <laughs> the um, low, low light for me. I'm trying to think, is there any other one? <laughs> Oh man, that's nice. You come with that one a mile away, huh? Yeah, I hear you. I could, man. I guess I could start right there as far as like low lights. I mean, other ones as far as like tracks. I mean, other low light overall low light. I would just like some of the tracks do kind of kind of sound dated. Mm-hmm. But I, I mean, that's a, that's to be expected. Like ninety one, you know what I mean? Or or even in like ninety. But I'm pretty sure they started recording this joint. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey man, it's um. It's <laughs> I have to agree with you on a lot of that, but my, my highlights definitely tonight. Um, tonight is one of his signature tracks. And then for a reason, you can definitely tell. Like you talk about that G funk sound. That's quintessential G funk, especially early 90s G funk right there tonight. Everything from the synthesizer to the um, the uh, vocal vocal box changer, like the thing that, you know, Roger and Zap use. Like, you can hear those elements in there. I mean, Born and Raised in Compton. I mean, of course, another one of his signature tracks. Um, I love Deep with Second to None AMG. One of the best things that I loved listening to was, as you mentioned, Dedication and Quick's Groove, which are tracks number six and number 10, mm-hmm. because those are the exact same uh, uh, instrumental. And that instrumental is so damn smooth. Like, you can hear, like, the bass line, the guitars, like, everything about the beat. Is great. I was almost a little mad listening to both of them because I thought dedication was really cool, giving a shout out to his homies, especially ones that aren't here anymore. Right. But listening to Quick's Groove, I'm like, yo, bro, you should have had a track ready to spit on this, man. <laughs> right, right. It's like that thing we talked about with Pete Rock, right? We were listening to, I think it was the main ingredient. We like some of those tracks that were like the bridges, the interludes, and from one track to the other, and we're like, yo. Why don't you I do something with this? Yeah, it's like <laughs> I felt like, the same um, way about um, Quick's Groove. Yeah, and just slightly off topic with that, but like even with like going on Pun's album, yeah, the rain and the sunshine, yeah, uh huh, that dream, man, yes sir, you just spit a, man, yes sir, yes sir, it'd have been a beautiful spit of verse on that dream, like mm-hmm. yeah, and that Quick's Groove, man, is just something he could have he could have slid on, and if it, even if it wasn't just him, if he could have had somebody else spit something on that. It was just like, man, this is like the perfect type of track to be able to spit something on on like that. But to continue, though, other highlights, I love Tear It Off. I love Scandalous. And I love the way the Scandalous ended. The fact that, like, stop all that cursing. Like, eat a dick, yeah, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's how you end the album. That's gangster right there. Loped Out Hood was a great storytelling track about, 
hey, just being around the hood, similar type of stuff. It's like, yo, what are the type of things that we see on every West Coast hood movie? I mean, that's basically almost the script of what you see on at least four to five scenes during a West Coast gangster movie. <laughs> From Boys in the Hood to Menace to Society to, mm-hmm. you know, any other West Coast movie, hood movie, man. Kind of sort of gives the script to that. Um, Eight Ball is a great song about just sort of just getting fucked up. I mean, it's about the whole thing about... Which, again, another thing you think about with, with West Coast culture, drinking 40s and blunts and <laughs> and, uh, and zigzags, you know? Like, so, um, yeah. And I'll be real as far as that one. Like, I had to keep in mind, it's like 1991, because, like, when I hit 8-Ball, I'm thinking they was getting tore up on something else. Yeah, you know I know. I mean? like, right. <laughs> I was like, oh, shit. Oh, you mess with that? I wouldn't, I wouldn't touch that, like, with a 10-foot pole nah, in gloves. Not at all. Right. <laughs> but then I remember, like you said, think about West Coast culture, 91 and everything. 8-Ball with that OE is definitely something that was a West Coast staple, a hood hood staple. You know what I'm saying? So, from that liquor store. So, <laughs> um, the lowlights, I mentioned, of course, that I kind of thought, not really a lowlight. I just really think the quick groove or dedication could have been something that could have been spit to. And it could have been a really dope-ass song. And a really something that could have added to this album, a lowlight. I mean, they should have just left Bomb Bud off of this album. I mean, <laughs> as we stated during our review with... Uh, <laughs> with brand new being on yep. and one for all it's never acceptable to you fake on a record never <laughs> um and i understand like you said i kind of know what it was that he was going through and i know because reading about dj quick he had a lot of influences from peter tosh and bob marley and he listened to a lot of those things and i understand yeah he wanted to talk about being able to you know the smoke weed and incorporating the reggae aspects into it i mean this joint is terrible and it's, and it's so disappointing on an album of this caliber to have a track that bad. I mean, it's so bad that I think I don't remember the first time I listened to this. If I actually went through and just pressed the forward when I listened to this, I think I only got through maybe about a minute or a minute and 20 seconds before I just pressed the skip button and went to the next oh, track. That bomb yeah. Oh, I mean, that joint, I, I mean, that joint is... <laughs> That joint is awful, yeah. It's like, why? What are you thinking? Like, this is not good. And I don't know. Maybe y'all was high when you made it, and it sounded good to you at that at that time, and you didn't think that. Okay, let me listen to this when I'm not high, and mm-hmm. see if it doesn't sound as bad. But I guess <laughs> not. Anyway, but that's a throwaway track, though. But other than that, though, that's really the only lowlights I can really talk about. I think it's a really solid effort, though, and the fact that he produced almost everything on here that's hard to be able to do everything when you're talking about when you when you rhyme when you produce make the beats when you you know do the concepts of the song help the executive produce mix master and everything all on a budget of thirty thousand dollars that really (laughs) that really sort of speaks to just man just how masterfully he was able to put this together to get this done in 17 days man so like I said, very solid effort. Um, not really a whole lot of low lights, but definitely a lot of highlights on here. I definitely uh, want to take, tear it off. Love the way AMG spit on that. Um, he definitely did his thing on a few songs on here, on Scandalous and definitely on Tear It Off, though. He definitely shined on this, like without a doubt. So now we're going to get into if you have any notable quotables. So we're going to have notable quotables here, see what we have. Jay, did you have anything in particular for notable quotables you wanted to, to reference? Honestly, nothing in particular, because like I mean, you, like you said, it wasn't like a one lyrics or so. But mm-hmm. I would just say like, um, I guess I, I just as, as a song as a whole, like Loked Out Hood, because I do like the storytelling ability, like just being incompetent, getting into stuff, and mm-hmm. yeah, you know, like that. And then um, 
And then the drink, I got that feeling because like it starts off all smooth, but then the lyrics like get more and more explicit. Like, yeah, because <laughs> like right, like damn, bro. Yeah, exactly. Like, maybe maybe it's a good thing I missed out on this at like nine, going on ten years old. Like, oh yeah, nah, definitely. <laughs> there were definitely some explicit moments on that, um, and especially on on that on on that and also on Scandalous. It was definitely some explicit and almost like kind of takes you aback when you listen to it. Like even now, us being in our late thirties, like damn, they was. Bros was going hard back then with some of the stuff they were saying. Um, like, to me, I don't have, like, anything in particular, but I do at least like to reference a couple of verses. One, that AMG verse, the second verse on Tear It Off. Um, I think he went bananas on that joint. Another one that I loved was on the second verse on Born and Raised in Compton, where uh, Quick was talking about some, you know, they broke into his house and cold stole my shit. They must have thought I was going to play the punk role just because my equipment got stole. But I ain't going out like no sucker-ass clown. They found they couldn't keep a dope nigga down. Now, here's some bass in your face, motherfucker, silly sucker-ass clucker. Now, you're ducking because you can't stop a brother like the Quickster. You know, like, it was just a really clever-ass line, the way that he put that in. And then he used the whole the, the bass effect, like, as he was saying, so now here's some bass in your face, motherfucker. Like, he just was hitting that 808, that doom, 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 doom. So... Really clever for him to be able to kind of incorporate the production side of it into a line that he sort of wrote, man. Talk about the true method of producing, not just making a beat, but really taking a a song, the direction of that song and everything and making it like a complete record, really. So that's where I really have to give him his props. Um, like I said, not A1 lyricism on here, but I, I think that's one of the things that I think people talk about when you sort of get to the West Coast, you had some elite lyricists, but... Really what it was is it was the the content and the things of what they were saying that really were kind of shaped a lot of West Coast music. And I think that's really the case here with, when it comes to Quick is the Name. Now to sort of step back and talk about a little bit of the legacy. Like, I don't know if, Jay, that you saw not too long ago that there was um, the list that they put out about Kendrick Lamar saying about his, his 25 favorite albums of all time. Which yeah, is an interesting list. I don't know if you got a chance mm-hmm. to see all of the list or not. Yeah, yes, so. Yeah, but this is actually his number one album, his favorite album all the time. You know, <laughs> that's um, it's crazy. But, you know, to me, I think it sort of makes sense because Kendrick Lamar is from Compton. Um, he grew up listening to a lot of these different artists, especially most artists from Compton. Uh, from Compton. So he did had a full, you know, full of, of Ice Cube and of N.W.A., and of uh, Above the Law, of course, with DOC, and then being able to listen to folks like Quick, and he has this as his favorite album of all time, it was just like, wow. You know, so that sort of speaks to the influence that one of the illest MCs today and uh, the biggest rapper out from Compton now has sort of taken this album and been like, you know what, this right here, this is my favorite. You know, out of all the other albums that we talked about, and there's some dope albums on that list, by the way, because Kendrick had... Some great albums on there. Some surprises I thought that were on there, too, that he had. There were some omissions on that list, but this was definitely on it. Some other accolades that this received, quick as the name, it also received, uh, it, it was on ninety the 1998 source edition of the 10-year anniversary was on a list for the 100 greatest rap albums of all time. Complex, on the 50 greatest debut albums in hip-hop history, had this at number 28 as far as the greatest debut albums in hip-hop history. The legacy has definitely endured as well and the influence that it's had on a lot of different people. I was on Twitter this week, Jay, and I noticed a lot of folks were talking about DJ Quick and the fact mm-hmm. that this 30th anniversary of this album was coming up. 
So they started to sort of look at Quick, and there was a discussion about a lot of people talking about his legacy and his influence, and as far as his discography, where did this stand? There was a lot of talk about Safe and Sound. There was another one about Rhythmalism, which came out in 1998, and um, other people started talking about the production credits as well. So uh, it was it's interesting to be able to see now that as we reach 30 years of this album coming out, that the discussion starting to really start to come out about DJ Quick to really you know appreciate him and i and like i said listen watching that unsung i grained an appreciation for him based on how hard it is he worked in the studio mm-hmm. and uh people would talk about him being in there how he said like he actually for his own studio he bought like the same recording console that used to record i think they said thriller you know right, that yeah. the one they worked on on thriller <laughs> he was like and he was like yo he said you got to think about man all the stuff that was going on in that studio he said yo you could probably put your notes down here and could probably <laughs> sniff up some remnants of cocaine and stuff that was in these like that's how authentic this board is i got this straight from the studio of thriller son like <laughs> that just was comical yeah man so um he's definitely been through some things and one of the things that i i mentioned is that you know Quick is a bad dude, man, because in 96, he actually produced a track for Tony Tony Tone, which is one of their biggest tracks in the, like, out of all of their hits. Um, let's, and let's get, yeah, let's get yeah. down. And that was a jam. It was just like, okay, like, when you can, as a producer, step outside of your box and produce for R&B folks, too, man, it's, um, you've done something special. So, definitely shout out to Quick on that. So, now we're going to get into the final test, the test of time, to see where we are. And as you know, Jay, I've switched things up a little bit with our ratings. We've gone to same thing, you know, certified borderline just in its time. We're not a classic at all. But I also asked for you to give sort of your rating between a seven and a 10 to how strongly you feel about it. We don't really go one to 10. I kind of want a seven being okay. You're you feel good about it on that rating scale or uh, or you're not that great on it or 10. You're really feeling great about rating this at this particular time. So for me in particular, like last week I said, you know, Gangstar step in the arena to me was a certified classic. And I gave it a nine rating on how I felt about it because I thought that I was, um, it was right up there with me and I didn't give it a perfect 10 because I felt as though they had better albums in their discography. So that's pretty much how we go. So we still go by certified borderline just in this time or not at all. And then from seven to 10, how you feel about that with seven being really low. I'm kind of not that sure. And 10 being absolutely, I'm sure this is where I'm at. So what say you about quick as the name, man, is it certified borderline just in its time or not a classic at all? And then how do you feel about it? Seven to 10 range wise. Um, I would have to say, I probably say a classic for its time. Mm hmm. You know, like just for the reasons I gave earlier, and as far as and as far as like my feeling was between like seven and ten, I would say, I would say a nine. Okay, got it. Cool. Yeah. yeah. So I would actually say that I think because of its legacy, I'm actually going to say that this is a borderline classic, and I'm going to say it's a borderline classic, and I'm going to give it a rating of about a ten, which means that I think it's right, right there. Um, I think the thing that sort of prevents this from being a certified classic for me is I, as much as, and people are going to get on me about this, but really the bomb bud is really a bad track. <laughs> and, it's, and I think it's enough to drag an album down that could have been a certified classic enough just below that rating. But I think everything else on here just awesome. I think that production wise, you really start to see those roots of how this era of music started to move out of that, that golden era of hip hop into this, transition transitional period as we like to say 
where you get the influences of West Coast and other gangster-style rap, not just from the West Coast, but from, like, down South and also from the Midwest. So I would say borderline classic, and I feel really strongly that it's a 10, that it's right there on the cusp of being almost a certified classic in that realm. So there we are. Jay says, Justin, it's time. He has a 9. I say borderline classic, and I give that a 10. But obviously, it's definitely a solid and adult piece of work. So DJ Quick, Quick is the name Almost 30 years ago today in 1991, January 15th. Go ahead and go check it out, man. Definitely read up on DJ Quick. And if you haven't seen um, his interview with NPR and then also his interview that he did with Unsung on TV One, make sure you go check it out because definitely some gems on there you can learn about a guy who was definitely a vet and a legend, not just in West Coast hip-hop, but of hip-hop overall. And that is going to wrap up yet another edition of The Vault. Please make sure you are checking us out on our new host on Red Circle. You can also download, stream, and subscribe to the Vault Classic Music Reviews on any one of our streaming sources. If you go to any of our social media pages in the bio, you will see our link tree there. On our link tree, you will see all of our streaming sources and also the links to all of our social media channels. You can find us on Instagram on at Vault CMR Podcast, on Twitter at Vault Classic, and on Facebook and YouTube, you can search us by searching the Vault Classic Music Reviews Podcast. Like the Facebook page, subscribe to the YouTube channel, check us out, interact with us on social media. We love to hear from our fans. We do it here all for you. We appreciate all the support. And if you have a friend, tell a friend and make sure that that friend tells a friend. Always remember to keep your headphones on and your music loud, but not too loud. And as we close, we like to remind everyone to dream big because dreams are the basis for creation. Always create, motivate and elevate because you were never destined or created to stay stationary in this life. And on that note, we say peace. Thank you for listening and coming into The Vault. Please subscribe and follow us on Facebook at IV Creative and Instagram at IVECRE8.